21st Samuel chapter 20. 1st Samuel chapter 20. Give folks just a few minutes to find that. 1st Samuel chapter 20. <coughs> Hallelujah. I want to say right off that um, God treats us and he blesses us through what we term as favors. Um, he favors us, so, you know, as, as people would say. And his favor toward us is indeed a big deal. And his favor will include all kinds of blessings and all kinds of anointing, if you want to call it that, describe it as such, but favors. And perhaps we don't pay a sufficient amount of attention to favors, favors from God as we should. And First Samuel 20, uh, and we're going to start at verse 1 tonight, uh, shows us something that right off the bat, based on the many things that we have said about David and previous classes and here tonight is quite emphatic that David has God's favor as we said many times God himself says David is a man after my own heart and you see how God anointed him when you know Samuel didn't expect that to happen. His father Jesse, his brothers, nobody. To the consternation of King Saul. But when God's favor is on you, there's nothing, whether people like it or not, that anyone can do. It's God favoring you. And that's it. And God wants to favor all of us in different ways at different times. And we're going to talk more about this as we go along. How to receive God's favor. How to appropriate God's favor. How to recognize God's favors on us. And um, again, I want to emphasize that uh, it's a very important thing. God doesn't necessarily favor everybody in the same way. Uh, here we have a dialogue between Jonathan and David, Jonathan, the son of Saul. 
God doesn't favor Jonathan to become the heir of the throne of his father Saul. But there's something outstanding here about Jonathan that I really want to emphasize tonight. And I really want us to underscore it. That is, it is important to gain and keep and appreciate God's favors on us is to recognize God's favor in other people. Not to become jealous of them, not to try to usurp it, take it away from them, but sim simply appreciate them and thank God for the favor that he has placed on that person. And don't worry about your favors. Your favors would be sufficient for you. Whatever it is that God will give you. So verse 1, David now fled to Nioth in Ramah and found Jonathan. Uh, he, had to, he had to be running for his life from King Saul. And we spoke about that several times before. And David wanted to know, as I paraphrase, what have I done? What's going on? What is my crime? How have I offended your father, he's speaking to Jonathan, that he's so determined to kill me? Uh, Jonathan, I, that can't be true. You're not going to die. He always tell me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father would hide something like this from me. It's not, no, it's not, I don't think so. And David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. See what David is saying? Listen, you can't go by how your father is behaving because he knows that you and I are buddies. So he ain't going to tell you that he's out to kill me. But I swear to you that I'm the only, I'm only a step away from death. I swear it. I know it. Your father is out to kill me. So then in verse 4, Jonathan said, well, tell me, how can I help? Now, I'm going to say something, repeat something that's quite obvious. Jonathan really is not obligated to David more than the fact that they form a friendship. Jonathan, as we'll see later on, suspected that God 
had chosen David to take over the throne and that the throne will be passed on to Jonathan. So Jonathan is more than being gracious. He's recognizing David's anointing. He's recognizing David's favor from God. So David said, tomorrow we'll celebrate the New Moon Festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I hide in the field and stay there on the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. You may pick up on something here. David is being a bit devious here. Far as we have stated so many times, from necessarily a perfect person. And again, God places his sovereign, his favors on whoever he wants, not necessarily someone who never slips up. This is not to say that God encourages, in, encourages us to do, uh, to say things that are not exactly accurate, but it just goes to show you that in spite of ourselves, God still grants blessings and still put favors on us. And how that pertain to us and the lesson that that may teach us, we don't do ill or wrong things that God might bless us, but it is wonderful and it is a great thing to know that in spite of our shortcomings and in spite of our uh, messing up, that God still blesses us and he still favors us. That's why we just can't look at people and we just can't just come to a conclusion and determine how God is going to handle folks. God is seeing more in that person than we can possibly see. In verse number seven, David is saying, if he says, well, okay, fine. David is not at his place. David is not in his place at the dinner. You know that all is well. If he accept the fact that uh, I've gone home to Bethlehem, you know, where I'm from, then, you know, he's not really out to kill me but if he gets angry and loses his temper you know then that he's determined to kill me show me this loyalty as a sworn friend for we made a solemn pact before the lord or kill me yourself if i sin against your father but please don't betray me to him. 
David strongly suspected that having escaped several times uh, from being killed from Saul, he came into his bedroom to kill him. He's ran out there. He's telling Jonathan, I'm going to hide out, but don't let your father know. And let's make an agreement. Let's make this covenant between the both of us as friends that you won't tell your father what's really going on with me. Otherwise, you may as well just kill me yourself. Please don't betray me to him. In verse 9, Jonathan said, Never. You know that I had the slightest, if I had the slightest notion, my father was planning to kill you, I will tell you at once. Then David asked in verse 10, how would I know whether or not your father is angry? And then in verse 11, Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow, or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let him know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants to kill you, may the Lord strike me and kill me, and even kill me if I don't warn you that you can escape and live. So this is pretty strong words of promise from uh, from Jonathan there to David, and um, pretty strong covenant. May the Lord be with you as He used to be with my father, and may you treat and may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with the faithful love, even when the Lord destroy your enemies from the face of the hurt. Strong statement. Even if I die, make an agreement with me, a covenant, that you will look after my family. David, strong, uh, Jonathan strongly, strongly, strongly suspected that David would become king. In those days, kings often kill all of a royal family that may seek to take the throne away from them or kings that they have defeated for in battle or whatever, they kill all the family. They didn't want anyone left to claim the throne. That round up people 
that were favorable to them. So you may have heard me or others tell the story of Mephibosheth, and that's why David did not kill him. He made a solemn oath, made a covenant to Jonathan that he would not kill any of Jonathan's relative. Of course, Mephibosheth was uh, the son of Jonathan. But if I die, treat my family, Jonathan is saying, with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroy your enemies from the face of the earth, even when, if the Lord called my father to die, you know, you will be loyal to my family, which would be a great thing on David's part. This is, these are very serious moments. He's asking David, I don't want to put it this way, but for a better way of understanding it, to take a chance and don't destroy all of Jonathan's, Saul's family, um, even though it may be a threat to you. The reason why Jonathan is able to make that kind of statement is because Jonathan was certain that David was going to be on the throne uh, God's favor was upon him and to what extent he realized that God really had in mind and promised David that David line will be on the throne forever and you've heard me spoken about this time of Christmas Particularly, it's very important for to remember that um, if you see in the Gospel, Gospel Luke, the way it begins, you see that um, that Joseph, Joseph, uh, was a descendant of David, coming through that long line of people that eventually uh, came to uh, to, uh, to be the progenitors of David, of from David to Jesus. And Jesus fulfilling the promise of God that we celebrate every year at Christmas the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Christ, coming through that line of David. So, uh, Jonathan, to what extent he understood all of this, what he certainly knew, that David had a particular favor on him from God. Hallelujah.
Alright, so let's, let's go look at verse 16. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. That would be including Saul, his father. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. They were buddies. And this is important. You can only have this kind of friendship, this kind of loyalty, if you recognize God's favor on someone else. Jonathan in verse 18 said, Tomorrow we celebrate a new moon festival. You will be missed when your place at the table is empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you ate before and wait there by the stone pile. I will come out and shoot three arrows to the side of the stone pile as though I were shooting a target. Then I will send a boy to bring the arrows back. If you hear me tell him, they are on, they are on this side, then you will know as surely as the Lord lives that all is well, there is no trouble. But if I tell him, go farther, the arrows are still ahead of you, then it would mean that you must leave immediately for the Lord is sending you away. And may the Lord make us keep our promise to each other, for he has witnessed them. There's more. There's a lot more to come into the significance of Jonathan's promise to David. And we'll get into that as we go along, uh, continuing uh, discussing, uh, sharing the life of David. And it's become so important to understand favor. Look at uh, verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat. And it is his usual place against the wall, with Jonathan sitting opposite him, and Abner beside him. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, Please let me go, for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there. So please let me get away to see my brother. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. And then in verse 30, Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. 
you stupid son, you swore at him, he swore at his son, that's Saul to Jonathan. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. Very emotional passages of scripture. Very, very unusual and typical of human behavior. Typical behavior of human is to seek to get as much as we can to never let anybody get ahead of us and God forbid if someone should get what we believe and in this case what not what he believed Jonathan what was rightfully Jonathan's Jonathan was supposed to be king and here he's helping David who undoubtedly was quite obvious to Saul and to Jonathan that David was going to take become king in place of Jonathan himself. And yet he did it. A lot for us to consider there. A lot of us, lot of us to foster prayer about. Because his father was right in this way. He was wrong about how he treated David, but he was right. And Jonathan was saving the very person that was going to sit on the throne that should have passed on to him, Jonathan, from his father, Saul. There is a lot more, as I said, to Jonathan, a lot more significance, loyalty, devotion, unfailing love, sacrifice, giving up, giving up your place for somebody else. And I was about to say simply, no, 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 it's not simply, it's not the word there. I would say, hmm, with extraordinary love for other people, just as Jesus made a great sacrifice for us leaving his place, as we would say, in eternity, coming and taking on human form, was suffered, he suffered and died for us as he was crucified. That is a 
and a, a sacrificial love that goes beyond typically what humans have for another. Yet that is a kind of love that God shows us, showed us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It is a wonderful Amen. thing. Oh, yeah. Wonderful thing. So at this point, I'm going to see if anyone has anything to to share.